with the Chase deal, um, it was about draft capital and value for us. Um, Chicago Bears second round pick um, is a pick that we value and excited about what that brings us. But it's more than just being excited about capital. You know, you we got some games left to play and we feel really comfortable with the depth that we have at, at, at Chase's position, the wide receiver position. And more spe specifically, we're really comfortable with our, our playmaking ability inside. And um, he's made the majority of his plays to this point in the season inside and not only at the wide out position, but that's a space that we're really comfortable with, with Pat Fryermuth as well, being a significant component of, of our attack on the interior portions of the field. And so that depth coupled with Pat's presence and development is what allowed us to feel comfortable in terms of moving him and, 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 and acquiring that draft capital. So the Steelers lost 35-13 to on Sunday against the Eagles. Did you expect anything less? But I don't think anybody expected for the Pittsburgh Steelers on trade deadline day to trade away wide receiver Chase Claypool to the Chicago Bears for a 2023 second round pick. I bet you also didn't expect for the Steelers to trade for Washington Commanders cornerback William Jackson III for just a six round pick in 2025. I will be covering all that and what that means for the future of the Steelers. Plus, I'll be going over Penn State's loss to Ohio State and if the right move uh, should be starting Drew Aller for the rest of the year, as well as answering your questions and comments that I've been getting via text or DM. All that and more coming up on Montreal Madness. What is up, guys? You are listening to the Montreal Madness Podcast with your host, Tony Montreal. So after getting their asses clapped in Philly last Sunday, it is unofficially official that the Steelers season in 2022 is lost. It's done. Uh, put a fork in it. It's toast. Steelers aren't making any sort of a comeback and squeaking into a wild card playoff berth. Uh, they're not doing anything like that this year. Kiss that goodbye, okay? The Steelers, what they did after that game is they acknowledged, the at least the front office, Omar Khan, the new GM, he acknowledged that this team, despite not having T.J. Watt in the field due to injury, there are way too many holes that need addressed on the Steeler team. So instead of just going with the status quo, instead of lying to yourself that you have a competent roster, you admit that uh, what you've done in the past has not worked, and you essentially trade away some of your players that aren't part of your core and you go out, acquire draft capital, and start fresh and rebuild through the draft. That's what the Pittsburgh Steelers are doing. Thank you, Omar Khan. That deserves a clap right there. Thank you, Omar Khan, for admitting that this Steeler team is simply not built to win now or in the future. So what Omar Khan, the Steelers, did in trading away Chase Claypool for a second-round pick is the first step 
in kickstarting that rebuild off. I'm honestly surprised that they got a second-round pick for Chase Claypool. If I was a general manager, uh, I would probably not give up my second-round pick um, for a guy like Claypool. Besides his rookie year, uh, before uh, defensive coordinators and coaches um, started learning his tendencies, yeah, he played pretty good. Ten touchdowns his rookie year, but that was his most productive year. Once he established himself in the league, once defenses started to key on his strengths and weaknesses, he's become uh, one of the many expendable stealers on this team. You know, his bread and butter, what is it? It's the contested catch down the sideline. Hasn't been able to do that on a consistent basis for two years now. He's in his third year in the league, and besides his rookie year, he has not been able to play of any sort of consistency. He has been a distraction in the locker room. There's actually a report floating around right now uh, that they have been shopping Chase Claypool for the past two weeks because, and I quote, uh, he's been a distraction in the locker room, end quote. That's what the report actually said. Um, you know, I could have told you ever since his rookie year that he's been a distraction in the locker room and on this team. But regardless of that, his play on the field just did not match what the Steelers thought he could be, you know, down the road in the future. So I am so happy that the Steelers finally admitted that they were wrong, you know, with this roster and what it could be. And you're starting to see the rebuild now, guys. I mean, getting a second-round pick, and it's only a high second-round pick, too. And as of right now, if the season were to end today, the Steelers would have three picks inside the top 50 in next year's draft. That is a big, big win if you're the Steelers in this now rebuild mode that they are currently in. It is such a huge win. Um, for a team that desperately needs to get better and to get better fast so this fan base isn't constantly booing and bitching and complaining the way it is. Because this fan base, they're not, we're not used to seeing the Steelers suck like this. It's been since 2003 since we've had a losing record. Uh, this, you know, we're, us Steelers fans, we're just not used to losing and we're certainly not used to just not even being competitive. This is the perfect way for the Steelers to solve the majority of their problems. But I swear to God, I'm going through Twitter uh, today, okay? And I'm seeing half of the Steelers fan base saying how bad of a trade it is. And just to put in kind of to perspective how blind and how stupid this fan base can be sometimes... Here's a tweet from a guy that says the Steelers roster is actually good. He says that this team is good on paper with TJ playing. I seriously don't see many holes on paper with this team. And there's a lot of people out there like that who share that same sentiment. Like, I don't understand what makes you think that this roster is capable of contending with teams like the Buffalo Bills and the Chiefs. How do you think that this roster, as constructed right now, can compete with the likes of the Bills and the Chiefs in the AFC? 
that's who you have to go through if you want to reach any sort of Super Bowl aspirations. That's the teams you have to go through. You really think after getting shit stomped 38-3 that one player, T.J. Watt, if he would return, he would make a difference? You're blowing smoke out your ass. You're showing, you're telling me that you are so uneducated in the game of football, it's not even funny. He goes on, this guy on Twitter goes on to say, we have Highsmith, Cam, TJ, a good D-line, Bush and Jack are solid, Minka and Edmonds are one of the best duos in the league. Najee uh, is great, and Pickens and Deontay is a solid duo. I cannot... I, I cannot get over how stupid of a comment that is. We have so many hills to um the the fill. Okay, uh, one is you need a revamped offensive line. Okay, there's nobody on on that offensive line that's worth a damn right now. They need an entire new offensive line. That's first off. Second off is that their defensive line needs rebuild as well. Cam Hayward is in his 12th year right now. And by the way, I want to throw this in here too. Cam Hayward, he's in his 12th year right now. He's not getting any younger. And he's still playing at an all-pro level. Now, I'm not saying this because I don't like the guy, because I love Cam Hayward. He's one of the very few players on this team who I absolutely love. And he plays with his heart out every single game. He's just a very, very great football player. And whether he wins a Super Bowl or not, he should be considered for the Hall of Fame in my book. But, though, I wish the Steelers would trade him and help him uh, get a ring to cement himself in the Hall of Fame. If he were to go to another team and win a Super Bowl, uh, I'm not saying he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's a surefire bet to be in the Hall of Fame if he wins a Super Bowl. That ain't happening on the Steelers. He's in his 12th year. Most defensive linemen only last 8 to 10 years in the league if they're really good. He's in his 12th year still playing at an all-pro level. But he's not getting any younger, okay? His window of winning a Super Bowl in Pittsburgh is done. With the Steelers being in rebuild re- rebuild mode now, it's going to be at least another 3 to 4 years before they can even sniff being competitive with the likes of the Chiefs and the Bills, okay? I really hope and wish that the Steelers at some point in the offseason trade Cam Hayward to a contending team. Cam Hayward deserves a Super Bowl. That is correct. But it's not going to be in Pittsburgh. I don't care I don't care what what you say. He's not winning a Super Bowl with the Steelers. His window in his career is closing and any sort of Super Bowl apparitions that he hoped for at the Steelers is gone. It's out the window. I really hope that Cam Hayward gets traded in the offseason because I want to see him win a Super Bowl. It just won't be on the Steelers, and that's just reality of it. But this fan base, I'm telling you, holy shit, some of you guys are absolutely nuts to think that this team has a good roster. I mean, oh my freaking God. The, I mean, just the one comment where Minka and Terrell won the best duos in the league. I mean, yes, is Minka good? Yeah. But as far as a dynamic duo at safety, <laughs> I mean, holy shit, that's just so laughable. And this, Bush and Jack are solid. Again, Jack is solid. 
He's not great. He's no all pro. Um, it's shown. You know, he doesn't make splash plays. He's not that much of a difference maker. Um, but he is he is a solid linebacker. But Devin Bush, oh my god, to say that they are a solid duo is just asinine. Uh Highsmith, that's another one where he's solid. You know, he's okay. He's not bad, but he's nothing great. He's no difference maker on this team. Just <laughs> I just had to share that with you guys. I mean, son of a bitch. Some of you Steeler fans are just so naive and blind to reality. Just because a player wears black and gold does not mean they're great in all pros. Hell, I see half a Steeler fans on Twitter saying that they were disappointed that Steelers traded, traded Chase Claypool. What in God's earth makes you think that Claypool is a freaking all-pro and stud? He's not. Just because he wears black and gold, just, beca just because he wears the Steelers logo, does not mean he's great. Okay? It doesn't. Chase Claypool isn't bad. I'm not saying he's garbage, but he's not great. But... Because he wears the black and gold, some of you think that makes him an instant all-pro. And that we should be getting, if we're going to trade him, you need to trade him for three first-round draft picks. You're not in reality if you think that. Holy shit. Like, just some of the stupid things Steeler fans say is so dumb. It's just so far off of what's really going on. I just, I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded to see that many stupid people on Twitter that are Steeler fans believe that it was a bad thing to trade Chase Claypool. It's not. It's a good thing. You know, the distractions part, set that aside. Just the performance on the field. He has not played like a second-round wide receiver should. He is not what the Steelers hoped for. The proof is in the pudding. The performance on the field is proof enough to show you that he's not some all-pro great wide receiver that you think he is. So getting a second-round pick for him, yes, that is a total win in the Steelers' book. Okay, it is. That is a total W right there. What Omar Khan and the Steelers did in trading away Chase Claypool was the perfect thing to happen to this franchise all year. It's the only good thing that happened to this franchise all year was trading away Chase Claypool. Finally, for once this year, I am happy with a move that the Steelers made. Now, they still got plenty of work to do, okay? Uh, one second-round pick ain't going to cut it. Um, but it's a really good start for next year's drafting in the future. Now, as far as... Oh, excuse me. As far as this cornerback from the Commanders, William Jackson III, is concerned, apparently from what I've been hearing is that he was drafted the same year that Artie Burns was drafted. He was actually drafted the pick before Artie Burns. That's who the Steelers actually wanted in that draft back in 2016. But I believe it was the Bengals that took him one spot before the Steelers. And, you know, the Steelers ended up drafting Artie Burns in the first round. And I don't think he's even in the league right now. Now, he's, from what I've seen, from some YouTube videos that I have saw, from what I've seen people report on him, he is more of a man coverage DB than he is a zone DB. The commander's... They are a zone defense. He just did not fit well with that team. Um, the Steelers, they have run man coverage, I think, the third most in the NFL so far. So on paper, it seems like a perfect fit on the Steelers roster. We'll see how it plays out. But, you know, even trading for a guy like that, um, 
they only gave up a six-round pick in the year 2025, three years from now. If he doesn't turn out um, to be anything, that's okay. You can cut him, eat whatever money um, that's on his contract right now, uh, put it in dead cap space, and move on, okay? It's, again, it's another it's another win, and there's, there's no loss that can be made here. If he turns out to be good, hey, great, that's awesome. If not... That's okay, too. You can cut him. You only gave up a six-round pick three years from now, you know, in the sixth round. So it's not the end of the world if he doesn't turn out okay. So I don't mind that move, um, trading for a defensive back. Don't mind it one bit. Would rather see them, would have rather saw them trade away some more guys um, for more draft capital in the future. But I am not disappointed in the move either. So, yeah, overall, uh, today was... A good day if you're a Steeler fan. The present uh, is done with. Uh, this year is over. Start planning for the future. Start rebuilding for the future. Steelers get a good first step to making that happen. Clifford. Underneath and another interception. Singleton in the backfield. Clifford will throw it underneath. Caught and a first down. Parker Washington breaks a tackle. Parker Washington with running room. Parker Washington. Touchdown, Penn State. They hand it off. Allen. Allen leads forward. Touchdown, Penn State. Running play. Henderson hits the sideline. Trevion Anderson hitting him like a slow bullet, 41 yards. Touchdown, Ohio State in three plays. Can Stroud pay it off? Deep drop, sets over the middle, caught. Stover breaks a tackle, still on the move. Kate Stover, touchdown, world famous. Here's the handoff. Henderson to the corner. You know what the funny thing is about James Franklin? It's the fact that, you know, despite him being 1-10 against top five ranked opponents at Penn State, despite him blowing, or his team blowing, three fourth-quarter leads against Ohio State, uh, the third one just being this past Saturday, despite all of that, I thought uh, he coached his best game at Penn State on Saturday. Um, and what I mean that by that is specifically talking about uh, in-game management. You know, going into a game against the number two ranked team in the country, against a team like Ohio State where it might not be big, but there is a noticeable talent discrepancy, you have three things you must do to have a chance. Uh, the first one is being you cannot go three and out on offense. Simply can't do it. You have to be able to keep that uh, Ohio State offense on the sideline and at the very least marching it down the midfield and painting them deep into their own territory and having them march the entire length of the field. That's number one. Number two is that you have to be willing to go for it on fourth and short and extend drives no matter where on the field. That's number two, okay? You can't be just settling on fourth one and fourth and two and punting. You can't be doing that. you got to be able to extend drives. Again, keep that offense on the sideline and making the game shorter. And number three, and probably most importantly, 
is you have to be able to convert field goals into touchdowns, meaning once you get inside that 20, once you get in that red zone, you cannot settle for field goals. You have to be able to score seven points once you get inside that red zone. You have to be able to it if you want to have a chance at being a uh, top-five ranked team in the country like Ohio State. James Franklin did not waver from any of those three things. Anytime they had a fourth and short, guess what? They went for it. Anytime they had an opportunity to take a touchdown instead of a field goal, they did that. And rarely did they ever go three and out. They did what they needed to do in order to beat Ohio State, and that was all because of James Franklin and his uh, in-game coaching decisions, in-game management. Even when, even when he deviated from that, the one time late in the game, I loved why he, why he deviated from that plan. You're down by nine late in the game. So that means you need a field goal and a touchdown to win. You know, there was, there was like four minutes or so left. They were faced with a fourth and three or fourth and five. They're definitely in field goal range. But if you don't make it, the game is over because you need both a field goal and a touchdown. So if you don't convert that fourth down, the game is over with four minutes left. What you do is you take the field goal in that situation, which they did and made it. Now you put trust in your defense, which through three and a half quarters was able to slow down Ohio State. They were able to bend but not break. Um, so you trust in them. Then you give your offense a chance at the end of the game, hopefully if, hopefully if around two minutes left, to march down the field and score a touchdown to win. Because unlike in the NFL, in college, after every first down, the clock is stopped until the ball is placed. That's what makes that decision much easier for James Franklin with that rule, knowing that you get essentially a timeout after every first down before the ball is placed. Clock stops. What Franklin, he he did what I thought he wasn't capable of doing, and which is uh, having a perfect uh, in-game management uh, day. And he did that. He was almost flawless. You know, nobody's perfect, but damn, he was basically perfect in in-game management against Ohio State. You can't tell me otherwise. He did. But the thing I always come back to, despite him being perfect um, in-game management for the first time, honestly, as a Penn State coach against a top-ranked opponent like that, um, despite, despite that, you can still easily see uh, just, the, just the difference in talent alone between the two teams. You know, and I'll, I'll go back to this again. Four years ago, um, at home against Ohio State, where they blew a fourth-quarter lead against them, he made the comment and admitted that Penn State was a great team, but you need to be an elite team if you want to have any shot at challenging for a national title. And Penn State wasn't there then. It's been four years, and Penn State isn't there now. That four years since he made that comment, acknowledging that they needed to go an extra level to have any short any sort of aspiration at a college football playoff, uh, he admitted to you that they needed one more step to take. And in four years' time, he should have gotten us there by now. But he hasn't. So in comes this new AD from Boston College. Patrick Kraft is his name. Replaced Sandy Barber over the summer. Okay? What Sandy Barber did in knowing that she was going to resign at the end of the year 
and giving Franklin a 10-year deal worth over worth around $100 million, basically just handcuffed whoever the new AD would be. Damn her for doing that. But no, it, but anyway, here comes Patrick Kraft coming in. You know, instead of doing what she should have done, was gave him a one, two-year deal at the max and letting the new AD decide what Franklin's future was, basically just decided it for the new AD. I just think that's total bullshit. Again, anyway, uh, the new AD's kind of handcuffed now. Regardless of that, though, there will be a time where he will come to a crossroads, and he has to decide to himself, am I fine with this program just being great, winning nine, ten games consistently every year, going to a New Year's Six Bowl probably once every other year? You know, Am I okay with that? Or do I want to bring... Big Ten titles back to State College on a more consistent basis. Do I want to bring back a national title back to State College for the first time since the mid-80s? Or am I finally just being great with the way the program is, status quo? Despite that contract with Franklin, he's going to come to that crossroads. And I think that crossroads is going to happen after Drew Aller leaves Penn State. You know, they, you know, what are the two main weaknesses that Penn State has year in and year out? And basically, they're the two best, they're two most important units in college football. It's elite uh, linemen, okay? Both sides of the ball, you know, controlling the line of scrimmage both on offense and on defense. And it's the quarterback. You have to have an elite quarterback to be a top five team in the country and competing for a title. Those are the two, those are Franklin's two worst spots at recruiting. Both offensive and defensive line, controlling the line of scrimmage, and a quarterback. You know, I love Trace McSorley. He's brought, you know, my senior year when I attended Penn State, brought me a Big Ten title and a win against Ohio State at home where I rushed the field with all my other uh, friends and buddies around me. He did provide that for me, and I'm forever grateful for that. But Trace McSorley is an elite, guys. I don't care what you say. Trace McSorley's great. He's not elite, Okay. So Franklin has not brought in an offensive or defensive and a defensive line. You have to have both. And he's not brought in an elite quarterback. So those are the two key things you have to have to be elite, and Franklin can't recruit that. So knowing that, are you satisfied with being great, or do you want to bring a national title back to Penn State? If you decide you want to go the national title route and you want to take a chance, Franklin can't be your guy. So after all or does his thing with Penn State, and that's going to be probably Franklin's saving grace. If a Lawler is elite, Penn State would be way more competitive. If Drew Aller, the five-star kid, number one quarterback out of Ohio, if he's not elite, Franklin's on that hot seat, everybody. He is. That's going to be the um, the fork in the road for the new AD Pat Craft uh, right there. Am I fine with being great, or do I want to be elite? If you want to be elite... You have to get rid of Franklin and take a chance in hiring um, a new head coach to run your program. Now, that being said, it's not easy. You know, who's to say that you fire Franklin, uh, this new head coach comes in, you obviously got to let him do his thing, so you have to give him at least three or four years, um, no matter what, more than likely five. If he, you know, he could possibly lower this team down a level to where instead of being great every year, now they're just a good team every year. They're only winning seven or eight games a year. They're not even coming close to competing with Michigan and Ohio State. Like, you know, you just know it's going to be a blowout every year. 
uh, and you're you're going to be in the pinstripe bowl every year instead of in a cotton bowl or a orange bowl or a rose bowl or whatever. You know, so there is a there is a good risk in doing that, but you have to be willing on and betting on, uh, you know, hiring the right guy to elevate this team to elite status. That's what you're hoping for. If you ask me, I want the latter. I'm tired of just being great. That it's you know it's just become boring at this point. Honestly, knowing what Penn State's going to be every year, with their ceiling being a ten a ten win team. Uh, competing in a New Year's Six Bowl. I want a Big Ten title more consistently. I want a national championship finally come to State College. Never seen one in my life. I'd take that chance. I would. But it's going to be after Aller leaves Penn State, if that's going to happen. He's going to give Franklin the benefit of the doubt, see what Aller has. And that's why Franklin, for his own sake, needs to start him now. You had your three-game stretch, Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio State, that decided your fate you know, for a Big Ten title or a college football playoff berth. You lost both games that you desperately needed to win. Put the kid in now. Save your own ass. See what you have for the future. Let him play. Let him make mistakes. Forget about winning 10 games going to a New Year's Six Bowl. Who gives a flying shit? Set yourself up for the future, man. You know, just like Pickett and the Steelers. Start him now to see what you're working with for next year and the year after that. And so that way, Aller even knows what he needs to work on. You know, he's not going to be perfect. He's going to make mistakes. But let him know what he's good at and what he needs to work on. Why not do that now? I just, I, I, don't, I don't see a lose-lose situation if you do that. I think it's just a win on both sides. If you win with him, great. If not, okay, he knows what he needs to work on now. And now you know your expectations going into the next couple years. But I really do believe that Drew Aller's success is going to dictate uh, how this new AD perceives Franklin and whether or not he decides to take another direction. So before we end today's show, I am actually going to answer some of your guys' questions that you've been uh, sending in to me uh, for the past couple of days. Hopefully... This can be a reoccurring thing with my show. Uh, Just keep on sending me your comments and questions, and I will answer them. Uh, So let's start off with the first question here. So this is from Tanner. If you were Tomlin, would you make any midseason changes or just ride it out? So if I were Mike Tomlin, I would have fired Matt Canada a few weeks ago. I would have most definitely fired him uh, the day after the Eagles game, going into your bye. Now, all year, he's been getting asked questions about, will you make changes to the coaching staff? And time after time again, Tomlin has said that he is not afraid to turn over every stone to make this team better. Well, he basically flat out lied to us, everybody, because earlier this week, when he spoke to reporters, he said that there will not be any coaching changes. Now, I understand that in firing Matt Canada and firing your offensive coordinator, that you're not going to see a brand new system being installed. That's something you don't do in the middle of a season. It's impossible to do. You do that during the offseason and training camp. I understand that aspect. But this is about accountability more than anything because it sends a message to your locker room that says we're not going to be putting up with this bullshit anymore um, on offense. 
We're not going to put up with it. You're going to be accountable, and we're firing your ass. That's exactly what I would have done. And you put in Mike Sullivan. Yes, it's not a new offense, but it's a different guy calling plays, and it shows accountability of, of above all else. That's what it shows. So to answer your question, yes, I would have fired Matt Cannon a long time ago. I would have fired him the day after the Eagles game, but that did not happen. Next question, and this is from Austin. Is it actually the players that are making the Steelers 2-6, and six, or, is it, or is it the coaching? Or possibly could it be both? Because we know that Johnson and Claypool had their screw-ups, and is that due to the lack of respect because players know it's a trash offense? Uh, you know, that's a pretty good question there, Austin. Um, I would have to say that it's both the players and the coaches. It has to be. As bad as Matt Canada is, it can't be just the offensive play calling. It can't just be the system that they're running. Although the system that they're running is trash, although the play calling is trash, it has to be both. You know, if you're if you're a talented individual, if you have a talented group on offense, you're you're not putting up. You're not averaging one touchdown a game. You're not averaging 15 points per game, which is dead last in the NFL right now. You're simply not doing that. It, it's got to be a little bit of both. Now, I would say that it's more so coaching than talent, but you can't solely put the blame on just the coaching. Uh, you got to be putting some responsibility and accountability in the players as well. You know, Matt Canada isn't telling Najee Harris to do tap dances and ballerina lessons in the backfield. You know, all that freaking dance and, and he does and everything, um, it's just... That, that's on Najee. That's that's just talent right there. It's not coaching. So, basically summed up, yes. It, it's both. It is more so coaching than the players, but you have to be able to put some accountability on the players as well. No excuse for what Najee has done this year. Yes, he doesn't have a good offensive line. Yes, he really has a hole. But look at Jalen Warren. He's hitting the hole hard, full speed, not dancing in the backfield and picking up yards averaging over four yards a carry compared to Najee's three yards a carry. Simply unacceptable for a first-round pick. Uh, just simply unacceptable. Uh, let's see here, another question. If you were, and this is from Seth, by the way, if you were a member of the head coaching hiring committee at Penn State, would you keep James Franklin and be content with 9-10 to 10 wins a season? Or... Are your goals and aspirations to win Big Ten titles and beat Michigan Ohio State at least every other year? Well, I think I pretty much answered that um, a little bit ago. Yes, I would not be keeping James Franklin, especially if the whole Aller situation doesn't work out. If that doesn't work out, I want Franklin gone in a heartbeat. You know, I, I believe, wholeheartedly believe that Franklin cannot get the job done as far as Big Ten titles and being Ohio State Michigan on a consistent basis. He He's proven for, what, 10, 11 years now that he, can't, he simply can't get the job done. I'd be looking for a new head coach. I'd be going through numerous head coaches to find the right one. I'm willing to suffer for a few years to find that right coach and to bring in the right system and to bring in top recruits like Ohio State and Michigan are doing, especially at quarterback and on the offensive and defensive line. But I don't think we're going to see any coaching changes soon. But yes, I am all on board for 
hiring a better coach that could possibly take us to multiple big, big 10 championship games and multiple uh, national playoff title games. And for my last question of the day, this comes from Jake. Do you think once the Steelers get back after the bye and get Kazee and Watt back, they can string together a few wins? They got through the hardest part of their schedule. Simply put, no. They're not stringing together anything uh, except more losses. Their, their ceiling as far as total wins this year is six, and their floor is four wins this year. That's anywhere between four to six wins is what I'm getting this is what I'm giving the Steelers uh for the rest of the year. That's it. They're either gonna have four, five, or six wins this year total, and that's it. Watt doesn't play offense. Watt can't help this team uh, score more than one touchdown a game. Watt can't help this team average more than 15 points per game. I mean, holy shit, this team hasn't scored more than 20 points all freaking year, and they're at 2-6 and six right now. So through eight games, they have failed to score more than 20 points in a game offensively. What makes you think that they're going to string together a few wins because a couple defenders are coming back? Unless they're getting Big Ben back in his prime back, they are not winning more than six games this year. Their roster is garbage. Their coaching is garbage. This whole season is garbage. Just accept it. Trust me, you will feel a lot better whenever you're watching the Steelers games. You won't get mad. You won't get angry. You won't get upset because you're expecting them to suck. That's what I've been going um, with the past couple games, and it saved my blood pressure uh, a lot of heartache. Let's just put it that way. It saved my... Um, it saved my heart rate a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of pressure. Uh, so yeah, it's just the Steelers are trash. Just accept it and move on to next season. That's the best thing I can tell you to do right now. And with that, I think that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Montreal Madness. Um, as always, uh, make sure to give me a listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you're liking and subscribing to my content on Facebook and on Twitter. And with that, have a good weekend, everybody. Monday, Monday, Monday.